this is a bridge for them to get back into their community. And most veterans, whether they're hearing clients or physical disabilities, and of course, our PTSD clients will always say, this dog has really changed my life because I was really staying home, um, not just from COVID, but because mm-hmm. of my experiences. And the dog has really helped them re-engage their community. That's ultimately what we want. That's Army veteran Katie Hanna from Need Service Dogs. Coming up next, a veteran on the move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Did you know that Navy Federal Credit Union offers digital tools and educational resources to help guide your financial decisions? Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran Katie Hanna. So Katie's been doing some work with the Need Service Dogs. But before we get to talking about all that, Katie, take us back to what you did in the Army. You had 24 years worth, um, 11 years of active duty, followed up with a bunch of reserve time. So good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I like to call my uh, Army service a long and winding road because that's what it was. Um, I joined the Army in high school, uh, much to my mom's chagrin, and uh, following my big brother's footsteps. And I was in the reserves, um, went to basic and AIT, and then went off to college. And while I was there, I got involved with ROTC and said, hey, I kind of like this leadership thing. Um, Always felt a little stifled uh, in the reserves. And so I... um, uh, went through ROTC, got my commission, went, met my husband in ROTC, and uh, so we both joined the Army together. Um, went active duty. I was commissioned uh, um, Medical Service Corps, and so served for about 11 years, doing all the fun stuff. Um, you know, I always tell my kids, do it while you're young, because you're you're young and you're healthy, and and uh, you can do all the great fun stuff. Went to um, Fort Campbell as my first assignment, platoon leader, um, did all my platoon time. And, uh, you know, ran around, went to air assault school, um, <clears throat> had a lot of fun, uh, deployed to Haiti, um, and then um, continued on, always kind of on the operations and the field side for Medical Service Corps, which is not always the case, um, and did my company command time in Germany. Um, and then um, at about the uh, 11 year mark, after I just got promoted, started having my kiddos, I have four kids. Um, and my husband was continuing active duty service and combat arms. He's field artillery. Um, so we kind of made the choice as a family that I would uh, come, you know, away from active duty service, went into the reserves, tried that out um, for about a year. Uh, and as soon as I got into that, uh, Chris got his deployment orders to Iraq. Uh, I was due with my second baby. And, um, you know, we had the baby and he left four days later, uh, which he was supposed to miss the birth. We kind of worked some, there was some magic worked there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just decided it was time uh, for me to take a break uh, from the army um, and really support our growing family. Um, And I I wasn't actually sure at that time if I'd come back. Um, But as, as you do, I, I missed it. I missed the camaraderie. Um, Being an army spouse was a lot of fun, but I always missed uh, being a service member. And so, you know, in our second trip to Germany, I started talking to a medical uh, recruiter and said, hey, this could be possible. I think I'm going to come back, um, but in the reserves. So I did that um, after about an eight-year break and um, came back and went on to, you know, 
continue my time in the medical service corps, um, not without its challenges. You know, again, Chris deployed, he's deployed a couple of times since then. And um, so I always had to kind of finagle who's going to watch my kids on drill weekends, um, who's going to watch my kids during two week annual training, because, you know, I was, I was an OCT for a while. So those, those uh, missions didn't always come in the summertime. I had one in January and I had to ask my mother-in-law to come down and watch my kids because Chris was in uh, Kuwait. So, um, you know, just different things like that, but we've been able to work it out and I've loved it, loved every minute of it. Um, when he retired, uh, we moved out to Boston, the Boston, greater Boston area. And um, I was looking for a unit and couldn't find one. So I took an IMA job uh, at the office of the Surgeon General and for those that don't know what IMA is, it's sort of like periodic um, attendance. You can do it all. Some people do it all in one chunk. Uh, I did mine in about week-long chunks, would drive down the, the eight hours to the D.C. area and, um, and do my duty. Uh, and I loved it. I loved working for a big army, uh, seeing what, you know, the, the greater plans for the, the MedCom were. Right. Uh, and it was a ton of fun. Got to run into people that I haven't seen in, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, and it, it was great opportunity. Uh, and then last spring just decided that it was about the right time, uh, to hang up my boots and, um, and go into the retired reserve, we call it, you know, you don't actually retire until you're 60. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been great fun. Um, and my three brothers also served, uh, one's retired from service, one's still serving and one, uh, served for about 13 years. So it's just been a great journey for our family um, yeah. and for my kids. So I've kind of seen it from all angles. Yeah. You know, one, one thing, cause I kind of had similar path. I was active, then drilling reserve. And then I went back active reserve, retired mm -hmm. there years later. But um, one thing about the reserves is a lot of the active duty folks think, thinks it's easy being in the reserves because you only do it part time, but you're also doing an another civilian job. Usually, full-time while you're doing the part-time thing, it's really tough to shift gears back and forth because the same standard is really expected out of the reserves as, as the Absolutely. person. You yeah. Know, most of the time you have to maintain the same um, combat readiness requirements like you know, dental readiness and physical fitness and rifle, pistol, gas chamber, right. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I would argue in a way it's almost more difficult because you're like you said, you're shifting gears. You're trying to stay engaged yeah. throughout the month, but yet you're still working for someone else. And right. it's tricky. Um, you know, I I've worked for two active duty commands as a reservist and, you know, the, um, in Germany, when I came back, I worked for an active duty command at what is now seventh mission support command. So they were all AGR. We were one of the, um, one of a couple of reserve units. So my commander who was, uh, a DOD civilian, um, would call on me all the time. Hey, can you go to this meeting? Can you go brief QTB? Because she couldn't necessarily break away from her civilian job. And at the time I was working part-time. So, uh, but I still had to juggle kids and figure out how I was going to get to things. So it, it's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, you know, through the mobilizations and everything, it's like mobilized a couple of different times. It's like, ah, you know, it became easy when you got mobilized. I mean, maybe other than, you know, being seven months in Iraq or whatever, but, um, mm -hmm. it just became simpler, I guess you would say, um, being back on active duty. But, uh, anyway, so talk a little bit about what your transition away from, you know, away from the army the second time you had an eight year gap, which is, um, a long time. So coming back and then eventually, uh, 24 years worth of 
service, you finally got away from, from it altogether. What was that like and work your way into what you're doing now? Well, so the first time breaking away was extremely challenging. I mean, I was a, you know, relatively new mom, still, um, you know, connected through my husband's service. Um, and our first move away from, uh, you know, our first move from, with me as a civilian was really tough. My husband had this camaraderie. We, we went to um, Command and General Staff College at that time. So here I was surrounded by all these spouses and I just was a fish out of water. I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of made my way through that. But, um, you know, then. Fort Leavenworth. Uh, when were you there? Um, we went there 2006 to seven. Okay. So, um, actually, and he had actually retired from Fort, Fort Leavenworth. Oh yeah. You're in the Kansas city area. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we yeah. live in Florida now, but we used to live okay. there. And so that's yeah, right. That's yeah. CPSC from 2010 to 2013. Okay. It was on our, it was on our, I'm from Iowa. So it was on our top, uh, <laughs> list of places to go. He just couldn't, couldn't manage getting to, uh, Leavenworth for a, a job for life after the army, but that we were hopeful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that transition was kind of tough, um, and then um, coming back into the army after a break, you know, I I had to get like three waivers to come back in, you know, age, MOS, and um, uh, my rank. And of course, they wanted me to go back uh, in rank. I said, nope, deal breaker. So, you know, I had a great recruiter. He did a lot of hard work and got the waivers, and I came back. But I realized a lot had changed in the army. Um, you know, it was certainly much more electronic. Everything was online, um, online training, a lot more expectations. Uh, so I had to catch up very quickly on that. Um, but then, you know, the second transition uh, to, you know, I guess uh, my future retirement, um, it was it was tough to make that choice uh, because I knew I was going to miss it the day I was done. And I, I do. Um, but, you know, to say, OK, this is really it. And, you know, Chris had retired three years before. Uh, so it was in that regard. He was very supportive. You know, if you want to keep doing this, keep doing it. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but the, the drive was long and I just didn't really see the prospect of uh, switching units at that point. So it was a good time. I was also at the same time transitioning from my civilian job. Um, you know, having been new to this area in Massachusetts, I took a term job with the Census Bureau running uh, one of the offices for the 2020 census. So that lasted almost two years and that had ended in December. Uh-huh. And of course, we went through the whole COVID fund. Um, and then I was, you know, ready to transition. And um, uh, I was also injured. Uh, I had broken my foot. So I was laid up for a few months. It was um, really challenging. So throughout all of that, I thought it, it was probably a big factor in my decision to, you know, trying to rehab and come back from a major injury and say, okay, I'm going to continue to serve and, uh, you know, uh, go back and pick, take a PT test and those kinds of things. It was daunting. Um, so I just said, I think the timing's right. Um, but so then I went on the job search and I had, I had done tap with Chris before, um, and kind of went back to some of those resources. Um, you know, I was doing all of the LinkedIn connections and doing all kinds of webinars and, and, um, um, found that as a reservist, you know, I didn't qualify for some of the, um, the, uh, I, I'd asked about doing some of the job transition internships and things like that. Really, I would have, I would have qualified as an active duty spouse or as an active duty service member, but not as a reservist. So I couldn't really take advantage of some of this, you know, 
skills um, bridge programs and things like that. So I just kind of went on my own way, um, uh, looking for jobs, trying to find the right fit. And, you know, through an old contact at actually at the Census Bureau, um, we had worked closely with um, Mass Hire as a big employment uh, support organization here in Massachusetts and help a lot of people coming out of unemployment and things like that. Well, we had used their facility to hire people to work for the census. So I had a good connection with the office, um, was still on their distro for different things. And um, their veteran coordinator sent me an email and said, hey, there's this job open for this, you know, um, veteran. They wanted a veteran and they wanted somebody to place people with service dogs. And I thought, I don't know anything about service dogs, but it sounds interesting. Um, and he said, well, call the contact whose name happens to be the same as mine, Katie. So I call her up and we just had this informal conversation and I just knew um, the possibility was really interesting to me. Um, it's in, you know, as, as I took the job and now I'm here, you know, needs is just a family type organization. You know, you don't feel uh, it is a nonprofit. You don't feel like it's corporate. You don't feel like it's um, it's very different than the military. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm, I think I'm the only veteran here. So sometimes they look at me like, okay, you're this unknown entity. Uh, <laughs> but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, I had been searching for something that could bring me back to veterans. I wanted to be around my community. I missed my community. Uh, and I also wanted to help veterans because, you know, I live in an area that there's a lot of veterans in need in a variety of ways, whether it's financial or, um, you know, job searching. And in this case, um, you know, veterans that have a specific physical need uh, that needs to be supported. Um, so it's it's been great to re-engage not only veterans, but the veteran support and service community, because I, I get to interact with veteran service organizations all the time because we all have a different piece of the pie. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk. We're going to dig deep into the need service dogs. Sounds good. We hope you're able to spend this holiday season with your loved ones. The military family knows more than anyone that we are not always able to spend the holidays together. And those of you that are serving away from your family this year, know that we appreciate your sacrifice. As the holidays come to an end and we get back to work and those bills start arriving from all of our holiday shopping, remember that Navy Federal can help you get back on track. You can get a low intro APR on their platinum credit card. It's their lowest rate card and it's a great tool to pay down debt. Navy Federal even has multiple savings and investment options to help you get closer to your financial goals. With Navy Federal, you can automate your savings and investing to put your money to work even as you sleep. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Message and data rates may apply. Savings products are insured by NCUA. Investment options are available through Navy Federal Investment Services and are not insured by NCUA. Okay, back time with Army veteran Katie Hanna. So you, we're just getting ready to start talking about need service dogs. So you, you had the informal interview over the phone, seemed like the right fit. You started working for him. So what what does needs do and, and what are you doing uh, to provide service dogs to veterans? So when they hired me, they had a previous um, veteran coordinator who had just really been doing it part-time uh, because we do serve civilian clients as well. Um, but they realized we had a growing need um, and kind of wanted to expand our reach. We do serve uh, veterans and clients nationwide. Um, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have them a little closer because we can see them in person. But with the beauty of Zoom, we see everyone over um, electronically. 
uh, and then they do come out to campus for their in-person training. Um, so when they hired me, they decided, hey, they're ready to take it to the next level and have somebody full-time um, to support veterans, to um, you know, take inquiries and talk to veterans and see who's right for our program. We really look at each client in depth and we realize that we can't support everyone. You know, we're one of the uh, smaller but extremely well-known service dog organizations. Uh, we've been around since 1976. We're um, the first uh, out here in New England. We started as a hearing program uh, from a small college um, re research program. They decided that dogs could benefit people for hearing. And then it expanded into service dogs for physical disabilities and other programs later on. Mm -hmm. um, so we do serve um, veterans in really three ways. Um, our service dog for hearing program, which is incredible. I'll talk a little bit about that. And then service dogs for physical disabilities. And then we have a smaller program that is only in about, you know, a close range of about three hours or less for programmatic reasons. We have a um, service, it's called the um, TAD program, trauma assistance dogs or for PTSD um, and that program um, only serves veterans kind of in the local area. But the rest of our programs do serve nationwide. Um, we are accredited through Assistance Dogs International, uh, which is key. We're one of the um, charter members of that uh, organization. And that's key for uh, public access. And, you know, we fall under the American Disabilities Act. So when a person is trained and accredited with their dog, they have public access almost anywhere they can go, the dog can go. You know, obviously, you know, people have to make a decision on certain locations, maybe a hospital, you know, that they're visiting for an ICU patient or something. They're not going to take the dog there, but they really can take the dog to regular appointments and to the grocery store and church, wherever they would go in their life that they need the dog. Uh, and they should be taking the dog with them. So they're, they're trained on that. So those are kind of our three programs for veterans. Um, and we have a great need. Um, you know, we, uh, we, like many organizations, were kind of hit hard during COVID. So we lost our outside source of dogs. We have a habitual relationship with other service dog organizations where they'll give us dogs that may not be right for their program, but might be right for ours. Mm -hmm. um, and we do our own purpose breeding here on campus. We've only been doing that since about 2019. Uh, so thankfully we were because we were able to continue supporting people with dogs just really at a smaller um, rate. Um, we, um, the purpose breeding uh, is incredible and thankfully we were doing that. We're expanding that. We're building a, a new breeding center just down the road from our campus, um, which will give us the ability to serve more people. Um, and we use Labrador retrievers uh, because of their obedience and their temperament, um, their ability to learn those 50 to 60 tasks that uh, service dogs need to be able to support the person that they're serving. Um, and they're extremely cute. You know, we have uh, yellow and black labs. Um, mm -hmm. Usually from time to time on campus, we have a variety of some dogs that are um, in various stages of their training or puppies at our, um, um, our uh, breeding center and that are preparing to, to go on to the next level of their training. So how many dogs are, are you guys training or distributing you know, a month or per year? I don't know if you go back to the, to the pre-COVID times. Yeah, pre-COVID pre times, we were in upwards of 55 to 60. Um, you know, we're down from that right now. We're a hoping year. To, a year. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, so we've, we've served um, over 170 veterans uh, thus far. 
Um, and we've always served veterans, but we kind of formalized our veteran service program um, in about 2006. Um, did a trip down to Walter Reed, interacted with them, and um, you know realized that this is there's a big need for service dogs for veterans specifically. And then we have other. Uh, we're one of the um, programs that has the largest number or types of service dog programs, um, but specifically for veterans, we have those three programs. Wow, that's awesome. And do all your training and, and even a lot of the breeding now, which you guys have started doing, is most of it all done in-house? So actually it's not. Um, they, you know, we breed um, here on campus. And um, uh, one interesting note I forgot to mention during COVID, you know, all of a sudden um, COVID happened and we have dogs at various locations and various stages of their training. Sometimes they're with um, a full-time breeder in their home, but most of our dogs are trained in the prison system. Um, we've been doing that for about 20 years now. Mm. Um, and so we got the notice that we had to bring these dogs out of prison. And within about 18 hours, you know, think army uh, reaction, DRB, those dogs were pulled out of about the six prisons that were in here in New England and put into volunteers and staff members' homes um, so that they could continue their training. We just had to lift and shift and figure out how we were going to support uh, in a new way. Wow. Is, are you going to be able to go back to that anytime soon? Yes. Yeah, so we're now back in the prisons. We've been back. Um, uh, one of our prisons started back in June and the rest in about July. Uh, so we're back in the prisons. We're not at full capacity yet, but we are, um, you know, working on that. And so we have prison um, inmate handlers that are trained. Um, thankfully, during COVID, we kept a decent number of our currently trained um, inmates that we could go back and start, you know, right back into training with them and then train some new, um, you know, we have, they go through a, a pretty extensive vetting process. As you can imagine, each prison has a liaison that helps us um, with the inmate handlers throughout the week. Uh, and then we, our trainers go into the prisons uh, weekly, um, usually one to two days, depending on the prison, uh, to check the training, review, make sure, you know, see how the dogs are doing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a win-win because the dogs get so much more exposure to the training and our um, inmate handlers, it's an incredible impact on them. You know, many of them will say, I've never done anything good. I've never given back to my community and now I can. And they're learning a, a really tangible skill too. So um, it's really a win-win for all of us. And then we have this incredible network of volunteers, weekend puppy raisers that come pick up the dogs, take them out for the weekend and expose them to all those social settings that we want our dogs exposed to. They take them on public transportation. They take them to games, take them out to the store. I run them to Target on the weekend. I'm like, oh, it's a needs dog. You know, you can tell they've got their blue in-training vest on um, and uh, needs dogs always speak for themselves. They're incredibly well-behaved. Um, they're never going to, you know, they're going to follow the command of their um, handler to the T. Um, you'll never hear them bark unless they're told to speak. Uh, they will sit until they're told to move. Um, they'll follow very closely along. You know, they don't want it. They want to keep a small footprint. Um, so it's really incredible. And so usually at least two weekends a month, they're taken out of prison to get that weekend socialization because that's really key for their training so that when they're trained, which is at about the two-year marks in pre-COVID times a little bit earlier, but now we're at about two years. Um, they're ready for the person that they're going to go and serve 
uh, and we look at their service life as about eight to 10 years. So mm-hmm. it's really incredible to support the person um, in their needs. Yeah. What is the, uh, you know, the screening process look like for the people that are going to receive the dogs? Uh, it's really in depth. So the person um, will put in an application and currently we're only accepting new applications from veterans. Um, we have a federal grant to serve veterans. And of course we have generous uh, donors as well. Uh, so we're taking new applications just from veterans. They put an application in. I will give them a call and do a pre-screening. You know, we want to determine if they're a hearing client or a, uh, a service dog for physical disabilities that, you know, that their mental health is, is managed that, you know, even if they do have some PTSD from their service, that's not the overall impact of their life, but they are managing what they do have or have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want a picture of, you know, if they're a hearing client, do they have other major health issues that we need to take into account? Um, because we really only provide dogs for one purpose. So sometimes we'll get a person who has major hearing loss, but they also have some pretty significant physical disabilities. We have to gauge, is this the right program for them? Um, we're not the right program for people that have, you know, um, instability or seizures, um, you know, a lot of falling our dogs aren't really trained for that, but there are programs out there that can work with people like that. So we'll refer them to a good organization that might be able to support them. Okay. Uh, Um, So then we do an interview that's like three hours long. If they're in driving distance, they'll come to campus. We'll interview them, get a whole picture of their life and their health. And then they get to work with one of our dogs and just try it out, try out a couple of commands, see what the dogs like. Um, Our dogs really thrive on, um, uh, Food, they're food motivated. So they get treated with their kibble. It's not treats. It's just their actual kibble. Um, and then a lot of verbal praise. So the person has to kind of be willing to be able to, to do that, to keep the dog um, going and motivated. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, you mentioned you have a federal grant. So the, the VA does not, the VA does not technically provide dogs to veterans, right? Not no, we, anyway. Yeah. We have a great relationship with a lot of the VAs. I'm trying to expand our, um, interconnection with the VA, but the VA um, really can't recommend, they can't say, hey, you should go to needs. They can give information on needs. Um, and, you know, we we did a great presentation for a local VA here uh, in Rhode Island so that their outreach coordinators, their social workers know of us, know that our program is here and could be a good asset for their um, clients. Um, but we're definitely not right for everyone in the VA can't necessarily say you should go here. However, if the person is service-connected for their hearing or for a physical disability, um, they can receive their pet insurance through the VA, covered by the VA, which is a great uh, asset. We don't require the service connection with the exception of PTSD. We do require for that. But if they're a hearing client, many times they are service-connected, but it's not a requirement for us. And I'm not sure what you're allowed to share, but um, one of the aspects of operating and managing a nonprofit is you got to get money somewhere, right? This all takes, takes money to do it. Um, You mentioned that you had a grant from, from the, from the government or the VA itself. Um, From the federal government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of, it's one of our grants, but really, you know, a lot of our um, uh, resources come just from private donors who love dogs, Uh care about dogs. Many people out here, especially out here in new England, but all across the country 
have a, a very close relationship with needs. Some people just give to us because they love service dogs and they hear of our reputation and they really have had no personal interaction with us. Um, so it's a variety of different ways, but it all kind of ties back to the fact that our veterans receive their service dog at no cost. Mm-hmm. Um, our civilian clients do have a fundraising initiative, um, but the average cost of a service dog for the care raising training is about $45,000. So, you know, the fundraising initiative is a fraction of that. The veterans, there's no cost to them. When they come out here, all of our clients stay at our client house uh, for free. We have a beautiful client house that was built on campus. It's kind of like, if you think like Fisher house, you know, they're going to stay there. Um, They have their own room, their own bathroom, a beautiful kitchen. It's all ADA accessible, a living room with a fireplace to snuggle up in when it's cold here in New England. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's lovely. And then our veterans, we take it to the next level when they come out, we have a relationship with our blue star mothers out here, uh, from two different locations in Worcester and Lemonster. They feed our veterans like Kings and Queens the whole time they're here. They don't bring any food. Our civilian clients do have to bring their own food and make their own food. Um, and it adds to that camaraderie because when they're here, you know, the class could be mixed, could be civilians and veterans. We have a class right now, one veteran and two civilians, and they're all interacting and you know, they'll share a meal together. And um, in this case, it happens to be all hearing clients and they have that bond together, you know, as, as a class, sometimes the veterans, we have several veterans and they bond together like our previous class. Um, And sometimes it's a mix, but it's, you know, they're bonding in their disability too. So it's, it's a really good aspect, but we have a great relationship with the uh, blue star mothers. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Phenomenal program. So Katie, we're getting close to the end of our time. If somebody's interested in the needs dog service dogs program, either uh, trying to apply for a dog themselves or looking to support, how do we get a hold of you guys? So the first thing I would say is if, especially if they're a veteran, um, they can just give me a shout. Uh, khanna at needs.org is my email. Um, they shoot me an email. We get, we have an inbox, um, an inquiry inbox on our website, which is just needs.org mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, if they try to apply, they can. There's a pre-screening, pre-screening questionnaire, and they're going to indicate they're a veteran, which will allow them to go forward with an application. Otherwise, they'll get a pop-up that says, sorry, applications are currently closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love to talk to them first and just see, you know, what it, what are their needs? Can we support them? Are we the right program for them? Or should we refer them to a different program? Um, you know, and unfortunately, I do have to refer, refer people out, but we'll always refer them to a good accredited organization. Uh, that can support them. Wow, that's awesome! And uh, so, Katie, I'll give you the last word. Uh, whether whether you're talking to you know veterans in need or you know transition out of the military in general, um, what kind of advice or um, you know, reflecting back on your own, what would you have? Well, I would say two things. One, you know the the personal connection or a referral um, from somebody. Um, it seems to be the right way to go because I did a lot of searching in my own and I wasn't coming up with anything, you know, that other than just a paycheck, um, you know, I wanted something that I could feel fulfilled with and I wanted to fulfill my passion of supporting veterans and connecting with the military community. So thankfully needs came my way and it's mm-hmm. been a great fit for me and a great fit for my family. You know, of course my kids love the fact that I'm with dogs all the time. I got to bring my daughter to work and she got to come see the puppies. It was incredible. Okay. So I would say, you know, just keep searching, let people know what you're looking for and, you know, hopefully something will come your way. Uh, as far as needs go, um, 
and service dogs, many veterans feel like they're not worthy or their situation isn't bad enough to require a service dog or that somebody else out there needs a service dog more than I do. Well, there's a lot of great organizations and I would say everyone should consider it if they have certainly the hearing loss. And we see hearing clients, we've seen really, since I've been here, a a decent uptick of of hearing clients um, Mm -hmm. of all ages. You know, this isn't just a later in life thing. Some people really have significant hearing loss from their service and it just progressively gets worse. So, um, and then physical disabilities, of course, too. So I think people just sometimes need to hear from someone, yeah, you're, you're worthy of a service dog. You know, a service dog could benefit your life and here's why. Um, we have a lot of great resources on our website. We have videos. We have a YouTube channel like you do. Uh, so people can go and see the stories and testimonies of people uh, that will every time come back and say, this dog has changed my life. Um, and the last thing I want to say, I forgot to say it, is that we look at as our, our dogs as a bridge to the community, not a barrier. So we're never going to say, well, this dog's going to block you off if you feel unsafe. No, this dog's going to be right by you. They're going to be your right arm. And they're going to support you if you feel a little unsure. Many veterans feel unsure in, in public situations. I mean, I don't like going to the grocery store, but I don't have anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, <laughs> this is a bridge for them to get back into their community. And most veterans, whether they're hearing clients or physical disabilities, and of course, our PTSD clients will always say, this dog has really changed my life because I was really staying home, um, not just from COVID, but because of mm-hmm. my experiences. And the dog has really helped them re-engage their community that's ultimately what we want. That's awesome. All right, Katie. Well, thanks for sharing your personal story and uh, just everything that needs is doing uh, phenomenal, phenomenal program and phenomenal guys doing great work for veterans out there. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Needs world-class service dog. We say everything we do is world-class and it, it really is. Yeah, so definitely. thanks a lot, Joe. All right. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>